I'll tell you what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about this thought. What makes you burn? What makes you burn? By the way, if you're, if you're looking for the app, go to the app store and just type in Woodland Celebration and, uh, and you should find it. But what makes you burn? What do you get excited about? What pumps you up? Uh, some people, uh, they, they love, they've always loved to dance. They still love to dance. They're going to dance with their, when they're 97. Who am I looking at? You just like to dance. Just go ahead, you're show-offs. All of you are show-offs. Uh, I went to a Fred Astaire dance studio with Allie. For 30 minutes. They call me, I'm telling you, their follow-up system is amazing. They call me every single week. I haven't been in like a year and a half. I know it's them because I saved their number in my phone. It says, do not answer. Some people, they just love it. They've always loved to dance. They will always love to dance. They just love to dance. Um, I think my son is in that boat. He's, he's 10 years old, and if there's a bee, all of a sudden he's... Like, who's your father, son? But, uh, you know, some people love to sweat. They love to run, love to exercise. They love to bike. They love to whatever involves, you know, sweating. They love it. Other people, they just love vacations. Who am I talking about? And they just, you know, you're, you're planning your next vacation and you haven't even got off the vacation that you're on. Um, but they just, they just burn for, uh, that is like the highlight of, of, uh, of their year. Uh, there's a guy in the Bible, his name is Jeremiah. He loved the things of God so much. He talked about the things of God. He thought about the things of God. He'd go to sleep thinking about the things of God. Waking up in the morning thinking about God. All day long thinking about God. And one time somebody told him, why don't you just shut up? And, and, and he said, I can't. It is like fire shut up in my bones. This guy, Jeremiah, he burned for the things of God. It just it burned in him. Uh, I, I know that that just seems like a huge leap for many of us to be just consumed by passion of the things of God. And, and I don't want you to feel bad about that. Uh, the only thing that Jeremiah had, that many of us have not had, is Jeremiah knew what God called him to do. And he experienced it at a very high level. If you're taking notes today, write this down. If you knew your divine assignment, you wouldn't care about anything else. You would not care. If you knew what the presence of God could feel like in your bedroom before you go to sleep at night. If you knew what the presence of God could feel like when you're driving down the road, feeling his presence right here next to your face. If you knew what dreams would be like when they're inspired by God. And he's taking you places that he can't take you while you're awake. If you knew what it felt like to hear the voice of God while you're walking down the aisle of H-E-B and he puts you on an assignment with somebody pushing their cart, you would be so consumed with this 
that everything else in your life, you wouldn't care nearly as much. Somebody help me with that old song. Crystal, you could probably help me with it. By the way, you sang today. Oh, my goodness. But absolutely. I told her, I was like, you sang so good, I almost took my shoe off and threw it at you. I'll throw this shoe at you. You keep singing like that. But what's that song um, where it goes um, something along the lines of when I look into your face, the things of this world become strangely dear. Yeah, like that. Um, (laughs) The things of this world will grow strangely dim. I promise you. I promise you, the more you see, because right now, right now, all of us, all of us, regardless of how long you've been walking with the Lord, regardless of how much you've experienced the Lord, He's so big, He's so vast, He's so powerful. We are looking at God through a keyhole. But the more that keyhole gets bigger... The more you see of him, I promise you, the things of this world will become strangely dim. And when I say strangely dim, it's strange because you used to burn for that. You used to burn for that. I got a friend of mine, his name is Chris Arthy. He he was a, a mentor to many of us before he and his wife moved back to England And uh, he said, you know, Pastor Frankie, I got a list of questions for God. I can't wait to get to heaven because I got a list of questions. He goes, but I know when I get there and I see him, they won't matter anymore. See, the more you see of God, the more you experience of God, the more he burns. And and so for anyone here where you just say, Frankie, what you're talking about, you may as well be speaking Greek to me because I'm not getting it. That is, I hope that this, this word, that it, it, it just like, I hope my, there's a, a water hose in my heart, in the spirit, and it's connecting to you, and I can transfer that passion. I can transfer it because the more you see of him, the more you experience him, the more you feel of him, the more everything else becomes strangely dim. Strangely dim. And, and if you only get this one thing out of this message as you walk out of here and say, all right, God, I want to see more. I want to feel more. I don't want to get weird, but I want to get close. Let me just tell you, if you've ever seen weird, just know this, God isn't weird. God isn't weird. His presence is sweet. It's powerful. It's unbelievable. The more you see of it, it's like, it's it's mind-blowing. But I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about your assignment, because I believe that your assignment would make you burn the deeper you get into it. And then I want to talk about this new passion versus an old passion. Because when you get into your assignment, a lot of your old passions begin to get challenged by a new passion. And so I want to talk to you first about your assignment. And uh, and, and let me just say this. Your assignment, you have no clue how awesome your assignment is. You have no clue. You have no guessing. If you could guess the best case scenario... This is so important what I'm about to tell you. If you could guess the best case scenario on what your divine assignment on this earth looks like, I just want you to know, your best case scenario is not as good as the real thing. 
And I know that because your best case scenario, you are imagining what that best case scenario could be. And the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what he has in store for those who love him. So your best case scenario is not as good as what he has in store for you. And I know what you're thinking. How can that be? Because I got an awesome imagination. Are you with me? Like, I can imagine some pretty awesome things. How in the world? Trust me. Actually, don't trust me. Trust him. He's the one who said it. And what's awesome is not only does he have this plan that you cannot imagine, he wants to tell you about it. He, he's like, I used to, my, my brother is the worst secret keeper in his, you've ever met. In fact, if you want to tell the whole world something, just go up to him and say, don't tell anybody what I'm about to say. His name is Nathan Shane Mazapika. If you want to tell all of Texas something within the next 24 hours, just go up to him and say, don't say a word. Ever since he was a kid, he'd sit there. What, you got a secret, Nate? Yeah, I can't take it anymore. The, the Lord is that way when it comes to you. He is just jittery. He wants to tell you. He wants to tell you what the assignment is so bad that this is exactly what he said. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 12. We have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Prior to that verse, it says that no man knows the thoughts of God except for his spirit. And he gave us that spirit so that we may know his thoughts. I don't want somebody. This is what God's saying. I don't want somebody to come up to you and tell you what I have for you. I want to tell you myself. I'm going to get into your body. And your thoughts and my thoughts are going to be intertwined like a rope. So that I can tell you what I have for you. That is so exciting. The creator of the universe wants to tell you himself what he has in store for you. And it's mind blowing. It doesn't feel mind blowing because you're looking through a keyhole. Look at the person next to you and say, you're looking through a keyhole. Now now look at that same person and go like this and say, you're looking through a keyhole. Go ahead, looking through a keyhole. The thing about your assignment, I'll bet you a dollar to a donut, even though I know nothing about it. It may be very similar to what Jesus was passionate about when he walked on the earth. See, thousands and thousands of people followed him every single day. When he read, when he fed 4,000 people and then he fed another 5,000 people with a few fish and a few loaves, those weren't like Easter Sundays because Easter hadn't happened yet for one, but just making sure you're awake. But those weren't big days. Those weren't bring a friend Sundays. Those were, that was common. That was normal. Thousands of people. Like, think about it. If a guy was walking around the woodlands and every single person that was sick got healed. Because between chapter 1 in Mark and chapter 10 in Mark, four times it said, and he healed everyone. That's right. People were following him just to watch. 
You sick? No. What are you doing here? I got to see this. They were following him just to watch. Jesus, this is very important. Crowds were drawn to Jesus, but Jesus was drawn to individuals. Jesus never pursued a crowd. He never went, oh, there's a crowd. He was not drawn to crowds. He was drawn to individuals. In fact, I want to give you a series of examples. Number one, he was preaching in front of a crowd of people, a multitude of people in Mark chapter 4. Thousands of people, and all of a sudden he goes, let's get out of here. He gets in a boat, leaves thousands, goes across to the other side. The disciples are like, what are we doing? What are we doing? We get to the other side. He gets to the other side. There's one person over there, and he's full of demons. You say, why does that one guy trump thousands of people? One guy. Let me tell you why. This is what it says about this individual. In Mark chapter 5, verse 5, And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs, in the mountains, and cutting himself with stones. You know, the Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted. It doesn't say that he's close to crowds. He loves crowds. He wants to be around crowds. It says, if you're brokenhearted, I'm close to you. You see, people who cry at night, he's close to them. People who are hurt and broken down and don't know what to do, he's close to them. He pursues them. He walks away from crowds for people like you and people like me when we are in those seasons. I don't know where you're at. Some of you came to church today. You haven't been to church in a long time, but you came today because you're brokenhearted. You have nowhere else to go. You're hoping God will come through with you because you have nowhere else to go. I want you to know you came to the right place because God loves the brokenhearted more than he loves crowds. Let me give you another example. There was this woman at the well. She was what the Bible calls a half-breed. She was half-Jewish. So a half-Jewish person was considered a dog in their days. A half-Jewish person. They would consider me a dog because I am half-Jew. My grandfather is full-blooded Jew. My grandmother is a Gentile. No Jew. So therefore, I am half Jew. I am dog. I am spit. Now, if you talk to my brother Nathan, he's like, I am a Jew. I am the favored one. I am. I hope he doesn't ever hear this sermon. The Cantus know him. He would never listen to my sermon anyway. You couldn't pay him $100. I got nothing to say in his opinion. Does anybody have a brother or a sister that thinks you're dumb and you know it? <laughs> come on, come on. The whole world could think you're smart, but your sibling thinks you're dumb as a box of rocks. Is anyone? Yeah, you got a master's degree and your brother still thinks you're an idiot. But uh, what was I talking about? Dear Lord. Oh, no, my brother walks around and he tells everybody he's, he's a Jew from the tribe of Judah. There's 12 tribes of Israel. How do you know you're not from the tribe of Dan? Never mind. Anyway, 
it's not so if you're a half Jew, you're not favored. You're actually a spit. And so I want to tell him, I'm like, bro, I, I don't mean to break your heart, but we're actually at the bottom of the totem pole. We're, we're Samaritans. We're mixed. And so full-blooded Jews would stay away from mixed people. And Jesus said this, I have to go to Samaria. I have to go through. Jews would go all the way around. Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why did he have to go to Samaria? He had to talk to that one woman who had been married five times. He had to talk to this one woman who's completely depressed and didn't know which way was up. He had to find that one woman, that one person where everything around her is falling apart. He had to talk to her. Let me just tell you once again, this is the kind of God we serve. When Jesus was here, he looked for lonely people. He looked for alone people. I've got so many more examples. You can look at it on your notes. I just don't have time to go through it. But Jesus looked for lonely people. And let me just share this thought with you. What happened? What, what if? Just what if? I don't know the plan that God has for you. It's too big for me to imagine. But what if? Your assignment was similar to Jesus's. In fact, it wasn't the crowds that miracles and healings took place. That you were assigned to lonely people. You were assigned to alone people. That is that person that keeps checking them, their mail and they walk real fast from their front door to the mailbox and they walk real fast. You're like, what is the rush? The sun is not going to get any closer. It's not going to burn you. But there's something about that person. There's something about that person. And all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord that is in you, the same spirit of God that pulled Jesus out of the grave is in you. And he begins to show you things about that lonely person. What happens if you're assigned to lonely people? What would, just what if, I'm just wondering out loud here, what, what, what if you are like, Jesus and the fact that your assignment is not in the church. Jesus didn't even like the temple. He didn't even pray in the temple. Jesus would go be alone. There's something about alone and lonely, alone and lonely that Jesus loved. Even when he prayed, he got alone. He went to go be lonely. And then when he looked for people, he'd go look for alone and lonely. Do you know why? I'll tell you why he did that. And you know why. Because you're in a season or you've been in a season. Some of you are in that season right now. You're in a room full of people, but you feel all alone. I'll tell you the type and shadow of what the church is supposed to look like was when Jesus had his 12 disciples with him. He turns around, he's got several hundred other disciples. He didn't just have 12, he had hundreds. And we know that because over 100 people, 120 to be exact, went to the upper room to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't have just 12, he had hundreds. And he turned around and he said, I need 72 of you. 72 of you. You, 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 come here. He goes, there's a few towns and cities I'm planning on going to. The Bible says he was planning on going there. And the Bible says that he gave them the power to cast out spirits and to heal the sick. And he says, now go out to all the places I was planning on going. I want you to go do what I was planning on doing. And the Bible says that they came back rejoicing and they said, even demons responded to us. 
And the Bible says that they rejoiced and Jesus rejoiced as well. I don't know how they rejoiced. I don't know if Jesus was like chest bumping. Yeah! I don't know if all that was going on, but I do know that... I do know that Jesus was so pumped because that is the type and shadow of what the church is supposed to look like. You, 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 you. Go out and find somebody. Find those lonely people. I don't care about the crowds. You see, I, I actually run from crowds. I don't care about the crowds. I want you to go find somebody and talk to them and then come back and let's celebrate together. Sundays are supposed to be celebrations. Celebration where we celebrate what we did. You know, we, the, the, our assignment can't be right in here. Hey, how about I encourage you, you encourage me, I encourage you, you encourage me, and then we can come over here, you encourage me, and I encourage you, and, and all these Christian people can come together, and we all encourage each other, and I got a prophetic word for you. Well, guess what? I got a prophetic word for you too. And oh, we're just this big old happy, gluttonous family when all around us are lonely people. And it's that assignment. Oh man, that's that's a powerful thought. Let me continue to unpack these thoughts for you. Um, number two, new passions versus old passions. You see, if 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 you step into this assignment. There's a war that takes place between old passions and new passions because God's calling you. I want you to burn for the things that I burn for. And you're like, yeah, but I burn for other things. They're not necessarily bad things, but I, my, my time gets consumed by other things. It's not necessarily what you're excited about. So there's this war that's going on. Let me take a sidebar. Um, I don't run anymore. I used to run. Uh, half marathons or full marathons. And, and if you ever talk to somebody who runs, their first race was awesome because it's the best they've ever done. So their first race, they're always happy about their first race. Um, but every race after that, it depends. You may come up there and go, you did so they may look back at you and, and not be happy at all. And you'll look at them and go, you just ran 13.1 miles. And, and they'll say, they'll look back very often because I did this most times. Oh man, I'm not happy with the time. And then somebody will say, you're not happy with the time? You're, what are you, an idiot? You're not happy with the time? You just ran 13 miles. You just ran 26 miles. You're not happy with the time? What are you, an idiot? See, if you're Italian, that's always the, the closing statement. There's always, what, are you an idiot? As if you were going to go, actually, I am. I am an idiot. And let me, tell you, let me tell you the psychology behind it. Is deep down inside of every person who runs, every endurance race, whether it's swimming or triathlons or running, if they run through the finish line, and I've done this a few times. I run through the finish line. I don't even care what the time is because I know deep in my heart that was my best. I don't even care. I know I left it all out there. And when I come through, I don't even care the time. I hit my watch. I'll look at it in a minute. I know I left it. I left a rib out there. But then there's other times. 
Like what happened to me, I ran the New York City Marathon. At mile 22, I pulled back. Nobody knows, but every runner knows. You shave off about 45 seconds per minute, per mile. You shave off 45 seconds per mile. It feels so good. It's like, oh, it feels so good. You shave off a minute per mile, it feels so good. You get to the end of the race, and those 45 seconds that you shaved off, they add up. So after about five miles of shaving off 45 seconds, you get to the end of the race, and you just realize, because you pulled back, your time is five, six minutes slower than it could have been. So I ran the New York City Marathon, and every time I look at my wife got me a plaque because it's a big race. She got me a plaque. It's on the wall. Every time I look at it, I know deep in my heart, right away, my first thought, my first thought, I pulled back at 22. See, every racer can never let it go. They can never be all the way happy because they know that there was a certain moment in that race where the pain showed up and they pulled back. They didn't pull back before the pain came. They didn't pull back at mile one. They didn't pull back at mile five. They didn't pull back at mile seven because there was no pain. The pain came at mile 11. The pain came at mile 21. And as soon as the pain showed up, they pulled back. As soon as the, I tell you, if you could have seen the first 19 miles of the New York City Marathon, I looked like I was in the Olympics. <laughs> and then the pain showed up, and I pulled back. Let me just tell you, your new assignment, the minute God, you, you, you gave your life to God, and God began to put passions inside of you and callings inside of you, there will be a, a moment of pain, a moment of conflict, where it is time for you to start releasing the old passions because every new season calls for a release of former passions. And you will feel that tension on the inside of you of doing what you've always done or letting go of what you've always done so that you can do something you've never done before. You will feel that tension and you'll talk to yourself. It's not bad. It's not bad. What am I going to go to hell for? It's not bad. What's not bad? And do you know that it's in that moment between new passions and old passions? Do I believe? Do I not believe? Do I have faith? Do I have doubt? Do I worship? Do I not worship? Do I get angry at God or do I pursue him to get answers? You'll feel that moment of tension going on on the inside of you. And I just want you to know it's in those moments that determine your trajectory it's in those moments you know Sodom a lot of people think that God destroyed the city of Sodom because they were homosexual this is not even in the Bible you know if you want to know why God God destroyed Sodom it's because they had a spirit of gluttony And if you want to read about it when you get home, don't read about it now. It's in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. They they could not say no. 
They had the, the definition of passion is they had the inability to restrain yourself from passion. So they had a passion for food. They could not push the food away. They just kept on eating and eating and eating. They could not not have sex with people that they weren't married to. If they felt compelled to do it, they would do it. If it, if it was a man and a man, if it was a woman and a woman, it, it didn't even matter. They felt compelled to do it, they did it. They felt compelled to eat it, they ate it. They loved themselves, they were self-absorbed, they were arrogant, lazy, prideful. Let me just share this with you. That when this spirit of gluttony gets a hold of you in your flesh, you cannot say no. Job said, I'll make a covenant with my eyes not to look at any young woman. When you cannot say no, the Lord is calling you to this new season. He's calling you to this new assignment. But you can't say no because your flesh is so powerful. You can't say no to food. You're angry at somebody and you can't forgive them. You can forgive everybody except for that one person. The flesh is too big. The flesh is too strong. Let me share a few scriptures with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, and God has given us this task. He's given you this job of reconciling people to Him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. When you look at somebody at school, in high school, in the lunchroom, at work, and you say, hey, don't, don't walk away from them. Don't walk away. God is making His plead through you. He is trying to speak through you. And that passion is at war with other passions. And sometimes we become a gluttony, a glutton for these passions. We can't stop these passions. We can't stop the negativity. We can't stop the sarcasm. We can't stop the bigotry. We can't stop the, the, the fornication. We can't stop it in this flow. Where you are his mouthpiece, it just, there's a blockage. Because in order to walk into one season, you have to be willing to let go of former passions. Let me just share with you, your, uh, your address is in heaven. But if you want to live here on earth with heaven flowing through you, it is going to require a little bit of sacrifice. Now, if you want to back up and say, I am not going to give everything to God until I get a few questions answered. Let me just tell you, you're always going to have questions. If you don't always have questions, you're not very intelligent. But what are you going to do with those unanswered questions? Stand your feet for me, please. I'd like our prayer partners to come down if they would. And if everybody in the building, if you feel comfortable with it, would you just raise your hands right where you're at? If you feel uncomfortable with that, don't do it. But if you do, would you just raise your hands and let's just talk to the Lord for a few minutes.
If you would just whisper to them for a few minutes, just tell you can just say, I love you, I love you over and over again. Those of you that have had a relationship with the Lord for many years, help me. I'm asking you, I want you to help me. Because the Spirit of God is here right now. And He's moving in this room right now. And I believe He wants to touch a few people at this moment. But He abides in the praises of His people. So we need to just praise Him just for a minute. Just say, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you. love you, I love you. I just, want to, I just want to break a few things in the spirit right now because we don't wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and spirits. And if there is a, a, an area of your life that is gluttonous, I want to break that on your life right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, every area of overindulgence where you just cannot say no, I just break that right now. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit makes you holy. You can't make yourself holy. The Holy Spirit makes you holy. Holy Spirit, rush like a wind into their life. Like a wind, like a mighty wind blowing trash across the street. I want you to just push out the trash in our life in the name of Jesus Christ. Push it out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I love you. There are prayer partners down here. They don't believe that God can do miracles. Demons believe that God can they believe that God will. It's a huge difference. If you have somebody in your life, and I just feel like there's a few of you here, it's hard for you to even enjoy service. Even though you're enjoying it, it's hard for you to enjoy it. This is for one or two people here. It's hard for you to enjoy it because the person you love the most isn't here. You're at war. It's a spiritual war. The Bible says, every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. Why don't you come out of your seat? Take the hand of somebody down here. Tell them their name and pray together. In Jesus' name. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. But let's worship Him before we leave. I love you guys so much. I pray for you all the time. Be blessed in the name of the Lord.